Welcome to the Jay Martin Show and the pursuit of personal sovereignty. Nobody can tell you what's going to happen in a year, let alone 10 years. So the smartest thing that we can do with our minds and our money is become our own uncorrelated asset class. And the best way to do that is to build a bomb-proof portfolio. That's what we do here. Now, my guest today is Harry Dent Jr., best-selling finance author. You can find all of his stuff at harrydent.com. And we get into why Harry believes the U.S. government just essentially lit $5 trillion up in smoke and accomplished next to nothing with it, only de delaying the inevitable, the what needs to happen, which is the bonfire of a recession that has to occur in the U.S. for it to get back to a healthy, high-functioning economy. Harry's High Energy, always fun to talk to. If you enjoy my content beneath this video, there's a pinned comment where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I publish every Friday and I absolutely love writing it. And in addition, I'm hosting the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia on May 17th and 18th. Harry Dent, in addition to about 80 other keynote speakers, will be in attendance talking about commodities and allocating capital. Love to have you there. I'll put that link in the uh, comments as well. All right, enjoy Harry Dent. All right, I'm back once again with Harry Dent. Harry, it's good to see you again. Yeah, nice to be back today. So thanks for making the time and uh, opening question for you. Why are Americans so terrified of a recession, Harry? You know, I think they're thinking, you know, God didn't get it right or something. We've always had booms and busts and, and you know, summer and winter. I mean, it's a part of life. Cycles actually the play up. And my biggest thesis be underneath everything I do. The play of opposites drives everything in life, right down to male and female. That's what creates the energy, the tension between the two. In recessions, people don't realize this, and even more so if you look at depressions, like in the 1930s or something. That's where the greatest innovations emerged, 1930s and 40s, okay, 70s and 80s. You go back and it's like, it was in challenging times, not in booms. And then all those innovations get tested, and they move mainstream more easily in the next Boom. So booms and busts. Booms allow the expansion of things that are proven uh, and are driven by generations I've shown that are growing up and predictably spending more money in larger numbers. And then the bust clean everything out and get things efficient and, and, and get rid of the zombie companies and, and, and bad debts. Nobody makes all the right decisions. Nobody borrows money and always uses it. What we have now is more bad debt, more debt and more bad debts than when we came into the 2008 downturn, which was the end of the baby boom boom in North America and most of the world. Mm. And, and so we didn't get to clean that out. So they keep stimulating the economy because we they don't want to have a recession since. So now it's a good thing you asked this question. This is the longest time between, you know, a stock market bottom and a top or between recessions in all of modern history, 13 years now and going. Mm. Normally, you'll have a, a substantial recession every 10 years. And I'll tell you, Jay, in the good old days, more like in the 50s and 60s, when there wasn't so much manipulation, we have a smaller recession every four years, you know, almost like on the election cycle. So this cleaning out and efficiency is essential to the economy. That's what recessions do. If you want to keep recessions from being bad, well, don't go nuts in the boom and don't right. don't overstimulate in the boom and don't allow borrowing to go nuts and boom, because that's what people do. The longer things go up, 
the more optimistic consumers and businesses and banks and lenders get. And the more we get kind of crazy and then that stuff gets washed out in the downturn. So I think this this we're coming up on a recession that's been now delayed for many, many years after the 2008-9. And that one was cut in half, Jake. That was literally cut in half. That recession should have gone deeper, taken twice as long. And that would have been like the early 30s. And we would have routed all this bad debt stuff and been much more healthy. And then we'd be coming in for a second round now. Hmm. So so I think this is going to happen. We're going to have to see a pretty drastic downturn in debt cleansing in just the next couple of years. This is probably going to happen harder and faster than usual. Now, I know governments will try to fight it, but you got to remember, governments have been fighting this now for 13 years. And when COVID hit, here's what I keep stressing to my newsletter subscribers. You realize just what happened? We had a temporary COVID crisis and they printed $5.1 trillion in two years, Mm. (laughs) more than they printed all, all before that, since the 2008 recession and all the stimulus for, for 10 or 12 years before that, they printed that much in two years. And the economy's already tilting back towards recession again by our indicators, which shows you just can't get something for nothing. You can't yeah. overstimulate a dead economy. I mean, how many times can people trade up to a better home? That's a big that's a big undertaking. I'll trade up again. People don't trade up to a new home every two years. Everybody's done that. Everybody's gotten, you know, the car they wanted and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. now things slow down naturally. And and I think in this next slowdown, part of what's going to happen is the central banks are going to want to step up again and stimulate even more. But how do you top five trillion dollars, 23 percent of GDP in two years in the U.S. economy alone. How do you top that? Well, because that's that's, that's the other rule that it takes greater and something's artificial. You know, it takes more and more to get less and less until it blows up. And I think we're at that blow up point here. I think this thing blows up in the next year, almost regardless of what the Fed does, because they've already done. You can't print five trillion and say well, that wasn't enough. That's a right. real sign of weakness. Yeah, it's it's a lot of dough, and I love the play on opposites analogy that you used. And um, you're right; the harder you party, the worse the hangover, right? And exactly. So, you know what you said was booms expand proven ideas and busts clean up the trash essentially, right? So when you when you look at the economy right now, you look at the market maybe just the US in general, what strikes you as the biggest piles of garbage, Harry? Like, where is the most liability? Where's those those big tender piles that, you know, create the huge risks for the American population? Well, you know, all this leveraged lending and, and loans and stuff, but, but I, my favorite graph is simply one called percentage of zombie companies. These are not okay. small businesses. Yeah. These are public, large public companies and now it's up to 22 or 23% cannot pay their debt service. <laughs> yeah. Again, small businesses have this problem all the time. No, these are large, established, major companies, and they cannot meet their debt service. So, so that's been rising steadily in this rebound. So even though the economy's rebounding from all this stimulus, consumers are getting free money to spend. Interest rates are even lower. I mean, the difference between buying a house on a 30-year mortgage at three or four percent instead of more traditionally six, seven is huge. So yeah, everybody's yeah. getting free gifts. Everybody spends more, but you're getting more companies that are being kept alive after the last recessions that shouldn't have. And they're failing 
anyway. They're just failing because they can't be competitive. They're not failing because the economy's weak. But the other factor is, even with all this stimulus, the average growth rate in this whole 13-year boom has been like 1% to 2%. It's been lower than average with unprecedentedly high stimulus, which just proves the point they're stimulating a dead economy. Let the economy die and remake itself, and then it'll be healthy again. It doesn't get healthy by taking more crack. I mean, anybody can take any drug you want, heroin, crack, alcohol, 10 cups of coffee and get up, you know, feel good for a couple of hours. That's what right. they've been doing to the economy nonstop. This does not end well. That's my view. And, and I think we're showing signs now, again, after five, tr- I mean, really, we should be growing at 10% a year when they just gave 23% of GDP in two years, dumped it into the financial assets, increased everybody's wealth. We yeah. should be growing like at light speed and we're, and we're still, I just saw the Fed Atlanta GDP report is the best under the radar report. They're predicting right now, near term, 1% GDP growth. (laughs) After all this stimulus. So you can't beat a dead horse so far. So I think this economy is going to fall apart by the end of the year. It's going to take a couple years to keep telling people, my baby boomer friends like me in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, we are killing the millennial generation. These people are going to walk into the economy inheriting our debts and zombie companies, and they shouldn't have to do that. So mm-hmm. I would love to see this get cleaned up in the next few years. The millennial boom, by the way, just like I predicted decades before it happened, the baby boom boom would be 83 to 2007, the rising tide of spending. The millennial boom is 2024 to 2037. So that boom is going to be shorter. But we need to clear out these deaths before then so that boom can be as good as it should be for the next generation. Okay. Now, what are your thoughts on individuals who speak about modern monetary theory as the future where specifically government debt doesn't matter? Because look, we, we can talk for the rest of our life about you know $5 trillion in stimulus and how crazy that is, but the fact is they did it and they could do it again, right? And so if we're going down this path, maybe, like, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I hear this conversation, I'm trying to understand it myself, where we actually live in a world where the government can print as many digits as they need to, you know, keep their taxation policies in place so that money is real to us, but not really to them, right? So in, in the government sense, debt doesn't matter for you and I, of course it does, but that's that's where we're headed. <laughs> debt think? always matters to everybody. The key to debt is how you use it. My secret indicator, which I borrowed from Lacey Hunt in Austin, Texas, Dr. Lacey Hunt, the only PhD classically trained economist that didn't get screwed up by taking too much economics. He understands how the economy actually works. It's all about how productively you invest your money, whether you raise equity or debt. And debt is cheaper, but it also has higher cash flow requirements. So it's more risky. So it depends on what you do with your debt. Okay. So the government can borrow money if they build roads and that sort of stuff, long term infrastructure, and especially at the lowest interest rates in modern history. That could be very productive. Government will get revenues in the future and that it will benefit the economy. If they borrow money to stimulate an economy that's already dead, this money is just going to be flushed out. 
Hmm. It's going to be totally wasted. And they're still going to have the debt. Same thing with companies. You can borrow money to invest in productive new plant and capacity. Companies haven't been doing that since 2008. They've been investing in buying their own stock buyback, leveraging their company, leveraged buyouts, all this sort of financial hanky-panky, which is not productive investment. It's just leverage and restructuring things superficially. So it's how you invest in that. So the best indicator, and everybody should look this up, money velocity. It Before the Great Depression, the Roaring Twenties, was, was seeing money velocity drop like rock. It was a booming period, but the money was all speculative and people were just buying stuff because it was going up just like now. And yeah. so it went down from 1917 into the early 30s and we had a bubble boom and the Great Depression, a bubble burst. Money velocity would have told you that was inevitable. It's the best leading indicator. I'm talking a decade in advance, not months a year. Well, it's been going down, guess what, since 98, right in the midst of our first tech bubble when things, everything started going speculative and all you do is you can't go wrong buying stocks and everybody's leveraging up and borrowing and da-da-da. When the boom is actually starting to slowly lose steam with the baby boom yeah. from 2000 into 2007, the kind of that top plateau, well, money velocity has been dropping worse than that, the worst in history from 98 straight into now, which says there's only one thing that's going to happen ahead the biggest debt restructuring in history, which is not a recession, it's a depression. That sort of money velocity drop only preceded the Great Depression in the 1930s and almost pretty much guarantees this. So what the, what the governments are actually doing, they're all almost smarter than you think they are. They keep printing more money because I think they intuitively know after stimulating so long and they thought a one trillion in 2008-9 would do it. We go back to normal. They've had to print more and more because it's a failing economy. They're, they're trying to invigorate a dead, a dead economy. So money velocity says we are going nowhere and we have tons of unproductive debt in financial assets. So, so long-term, Harry. And that's what you have to clear out. You yeah. clear those out so they're no longer sucking up money or paying interest or paying dividends and wasting. And then you reinvest in the companies that survive that shakeout in stronger companies that can grow again with less competition because we wipe out the bad debts. We also wipe out the zombie companies I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So bad yeah. debts and zombie companies are the signs that we're in the greatest debt an over-leveraged economy in history, which means you would expect money's been invested unproductively. And all you have to do is look at money velocity, 120% confirmation. Yes, since 1998, since the tech bubble, we have been investing money increasingly unproductively. This is government, businesses, and consumers. All of us yeah. have. If the government builds infrastructures, yay. If they're printing money, and borrowing more money to stimulate a debt economy? No, of course that's not going to pay off. Would you throw a lot of money at a failing company just so it doesn't have to go bankrupt and embarrass people? No, you let it go in chapter 11 and flush it out. So this has got to happen. Like I agree with what you're saying. And, and I look at this like the only, so let's look at like inflation numbers, for example, the only thing that's ever successfully fixed inflation has been a recession. I mean, really, right? After what you just shared. Well, and high inflation rates, high inflation rates basically force recessions and consumers to spend less and cause those recessions that then do take down inflation. The difference is in the 70s, inflation kept coming back because yeah. 
fundamental inflation was coming from massive baby boomers unproductively at first entering the workforce. Wet new people don't know what they're doing. Okay, this is different. My next newsletter, I'm going to point out this inflation spike is almost as strong as the one from 73 to 75 and the one from 77 to 80, almost as strong in percentage point gains. Yet it's happened at a time when my inflation indicators that fundamental trends say one percent is what inflation should be at. And that's what it's been trending down ever since the peak in 1980. It's followed my inflation indicator, which, by the way, is simply workforce growth. Workforce growth expands when young, unproductive at first people are entering and then declines when they're not or when people yeah. are leaving. So yeah. so this this is the, the key thing. And we just got to understand we have to. We can't keep throwing money. We have to we have to restructure this economy so it's stronger when, as I said earlier, the millennials come along and actually take fundamental trends back up positive, not needing stimulus for the first time since 1983 to 2007. And and for that reason, I can speculate that, yeah, we got to get through this. But long term, Harry Dent is an American bull. Is that right? Are you bullish or bearish long term, 10 years oh. down the road? On okay. the American economy? Very, very, very good question. First, I'll start with that. And I always remind my audience, 1983 to 2007, I was one of the first people in the 80s to see that this was not going to be another boom or short. It was going to be the greatest boom in history. It was going to be global. Everything boomed. Third world countries, Japan, Asia, China, US, Europe, US and China in the end did the best, but everything boomed. Okay. The difference, yes, we will see another boom. The first one in the U.S., as I said earlier, 2024 to 37. Notice not as long as 83 to 2007. Also not going to be as high and steep. The millennial generation was not as big away. Okay, we'll never see. But I look back in history, generations the size and impact of baby boomers come about every 250 years. We're not going to see this again. But the world is revolving around from uh, west to east, okay? You know, from 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 Europe to North America, and now's where all the growth is in East Asia. It was Japan. Well, Japan's peaked out demographically. Well, now it's China, and Southeast Asia is up and coming, and India will be the ultimate next China. So this next boom will not be as strong in the United States, but it'll be stronger than Europe because our echo boom, our millennial generation is substantial. Europe's is almost non-existent. But the biggest boom will be in China to a lesser degree, only because they've already overbuilt their economy 20 years in advance. So China didn't print money as much as just tell builders, we'll give you all the money to build stuff for nobody. And that's the way they create jobs and stimulate kinds. So it's actually even worse because they have excess capacity forever. The real growth will be in Southeast Asia and increasingly India. So the U.S. and the developed world will trump Europe, Southeast Asia, and India will trump China and East Asia. So the next boom will not be everybody and, and, and everybody doing great. It'll be global, but it'll be more selective. You'll get paid more for being in the right sectors when this thing finally bottoms, if I'm right, in 2023 and you start investing for the rebound, I would be buying high tech in the U.S., aging industries in the U.S., and the rest of it would be in Southeast Asia. And that's where I'd be focusing. All right. I love it. Well, look, anybody who wants to uh, connect with you, Harry, you'll be up at my conference in Vancouver, May 17th and 18th, the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. I'm looking forward to getting you on stage in person, continuing this chat. 
But thanks for your time today. And by the way, quick note, I travel a lot in North America. My favorite city is Vancouver, particularly late summer, early fall. Oh, my God. Love it. So I'm yeah, looking nothing, forward to it, too. <laughs> nothing beats a sunny day in Vancouver. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks again, oh, Harry. HarryDent.com, though, also. We want more information. Get on our free. We have a free newsletter to get to know us. HarryDent.com. It's that simple. Just boom. Get on a free newsletter. Awesome. I'll pop it in the show notes. All right. Thanks again, Harry. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.